Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here and I uh, get to be on a team, a group of us uh, that teach on Sundays here and up in Cedar Rapids. Uh, and you are, um, well, lucky, because uh, you are in a series called Heaven. Um, and we have been talking about a lot of things in this series uh, called Heaven. And uh, certainly, I think for some of us have, um, well, changed our perspective or maybe challenged our perspectives on some things. Um, and that's part of my goal. Maybe that's more of a, like a selfish goal that I have is to challenge your perspective. Uh, but hopefully um, to get you to know ultimately God a little bit better. And so to start off, I want to do a really brief recap. So far, uh, we covered where heaven is and where we are, okay? And so we talked about this. We're using two circles. And today, some of you noted last week it was hard to see the green marker. I have brought the black marker. So you're welcome. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, and so we have this idea of that there is a heaven space and that there is an earth space. And we live, this is you, you're looking good. And this is God and his throne and this is where he lives and he reigns from. That's a throne, by the way. I don't know if you could see that. Um, it's a chair. Uh, but anyways, he reigns from heaven and that's where he resides. Um, and so uh, then we talked about where we go when we die. Um, and we talked about or, and who goes to there. And that we talked about it isn't what we think. Um, the, those who um, uh, heaven is or where we go when we die is to be with God. Um, not necessarily this idea of a place of heaven, um, and that uh, the people who go to be with God are those who, and this is an oversimplification and theologically incorrect, but I think practically helps us to get this concept, um, those who want to be with God. To which some of you are just thinking right now, well, if you haven't watched the last two series, you might be thinking, well, that sounds awful simple, Taylor. Like, I think that's the version of heaven I had. To which I would respond, you need to go and watch the last two weeks because it has been anything but what you think you knew about heaven. Um, and I think hopefully broke through some traditions or stereotypes that I think hold us back from getting to know really God well. And so you can watch online through our website or through our app if you download our Infused Church app. Okay, so today um, we're going to uh, talk about and start with a little story which includes a video which I'm going to show in just a second. Um, and it's a story that happened this, this week, uh, Wednesday night, to be exact. I am out of town um, during this season, uh, uh, this story. Um, and my wife, Stephanie, who is also a pastor here, who's on sabbatical, that's why you, you haven't probably seen her much, is holding down the house. Uh, and by that, she is watching and caring for our three girls, two, four, and five. And it's the part of the evening where the girls are actually calm because they're watching a show. That's the you know, half parent that is there to help, right, uh, when I'm gone. And they're watching the show. Everything's calm. So if you um, have had the blessing of being a parent, you know that is the season for you to go and take care of yourself for a second, i.e. get ready for bed. And so she's like, okay, it's good. I'm going. And she, you know, goes to get ready for bed, quick get ready for bed, leaves the bedroom just a matter of minutes later and returns to find that our two-year-old has decided to become Picasso. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, that's the, that's the response. So here's what she found and sent me what I got via text message on my phone, okay? Yes. Oh, awkward. Yes. And then Ellie's in the background saying, can you cut my hair? <laughs> okay. 
Um, so normal night in our house. Uh, yes. So it turns out it, it wasn't the scene of a murder, though that's what it looks like. Uh, in fact, it was uh, red paint from Sesame Street all over. Um, and it was not good. Uh, it is washable paint, uh, but I think when, you know, the marketing team decides that something's washable, that doesn't mean it's 100% washable. It just means a portion of it will wash off. Uh, the walls can be repainted. The carpet, well, it's still red um, since Wednesday. And um, for whatever reason, our two-year-old and I don't know if kids just innately know this. Like, it's just something truly you're born with. It's like, mom, the authority is gone. I have free reign. And what is the most destructive and creative thing I can think to do but to go and dig out the creative tub that we have of creative supplies, get of all paint colors. Like, it could have been yellow, but it wasn't yellow. It was red and then decide to be the next Picasso all over. Okay. So what I'm going to do for the next minute is discuss with you a possible list of solutions for our paint problem. And the paint problem being, it's still in our carpet, okay? And then I'm going to tie this into heaven. And I think, regardless of whether you're Christian or not, there is an opportunity right here to learn something about yourself and to learn something about how you view God, okay? And so that's what we're going to do. So now I'm going to list out what I think are the obvious solutions to me to fix the paint problem, okay? And I'm going to put them up here so you can all just absorb them in. All right, I have three. The first solution, to me, probably the easiest to move, okay? <laughs> just run away, right? Makes sense to me. If that doesn't work, we have a second option. Build a new house. Okay? Because we have the land, let's just put it next to the old house. All right? The third option, which there is a part of my inner child that likes this option, is just burn it down. <laughs> to which you laugh, which is understandable. And the reason you laugh is because you and I are both looking at this list and you think to yourself... I'm going to go out on a limb, Taylor, and say that feels a bit extreme, okay? Like, Taylor, <clears throat> when your kids make a mess, you just can't run away. You can't just build a new house, and you can't just burn it down. That's not how life works. Certainly not how your insurance company is going to see it. <laughs> yeah, how did your house burn down? Ah, uh, paint, you know. Um, anyways, so the part that I think can help us to learn a little bit about ourselves, to learn a little bit about heaven, and to learn a little bit about how we see God, is the fact that a majority of Christians, in fact, I would go so far as to say probably a majority of people in general, whether you're atheist, agnostic, nothing, you're a-religious, if you will, or you're Christian, I think the majority of Christians look at heaven and earth like this. I think the majority of Christians look at heaven and earth with these three options in mind. In other words, Christians look at, have, uh, look at earth and they look at it with a bit of like smugness and a little bit of pride and they think to themselves in their minds and their hearts, the earth is a disaster. And thank the Lord that when I die, I get a free ride out of here. I get to move away and I don't have to deal with that anymore. And in that place that I'm going, I am going to have a new house 
with a new room just for me. And God is going to then come one of those days back to earth and he is going to burn it all down, especially those people who I feel like have wronged me or the world and they're gonna get what's coming to them and it's called justice. And I think for a number of Christians in the world, we look at the world and the end of life and the end of times in a similar light. And the perk and the ideal and the draw of heaven is the fact that these things will happen. And we get to press for once in our life the easy button and say, I get out of jail. I get out of earth free card to go to a better place. The unfortunate part is, like you are thinking about my ideas here, is that that is extreme. And that is not how the story ends. And today, Jesus and some other biblical authors are going to mess with that idea. Because it's not how God works. And it's not how love works. And to be honest with you, this kind of idea, it's a little selfish, We've kind of talked about that theme throughout our view of heaven so far in this series is understanding that a lot of our versions of heaven have to do more with us and what we want versus what God has told us or taught us. So to do that, we're going to go all the way back to understand this idea of what happens at the very end and a little bit more of this idea of what happens when we die and kind of piece this picture in because that's what we've been doing in this series is just kind of providing pieces to this puzzle. We're going to start at the very beginning. Now, if you were here a couple of years ago, we did a series called Stranger Things and we talked about this as well. Um, but essentially, we're going to start in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And I'm going to do it really quickly because we kind of did way too much of an in-depth one in week one. But essentially, in Genesis 1... And two, you have this idea of heaven and you have this idea of earth. God created the heavens and the earth, okay? And he then created human beings. And he gave human beings a very specific task in Genesis 1 and 2. He said, you are humanity to rule over the earth. You are in charge. And you need to go out and you need to cultivate it. You need to bring organization out of chaos. You need to multiply it and bring order to it. That's what you're supposed to do. And then he said, and what he practiced for the next millennia, millennia, millennia is God worked in the world through human beings. Like if you read the biblical story, I don't think we always think about this, but God more than often than not, like 90 plus percent of the time when he worked in the world, he worked through a human being. He didn't just do it himself without participating with the rulers he put in charge, you and I. And then he created the heavens and he created spiritual beings who rule over heaven. But overall, all of this, we talked about this already, is considered creation. This is creation. And God is the one who rules over all. God rules over all of Creation. We don't often think about heaven as creation, but it is creation. God created it, heaven and earth. And God reigns supreme in that scenario. Okay? And in the beginning, it was good, right? That was the whole theme, right? It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And it was good because heaven and earth were together, right? Everyone is calm at this stage. There's no paint on the walls. Nobody's messed up. 
Heaven and earth are distinct, but there is no barrier, separation, or sin that splits it apart. And so therefore, God walks with humanity in the garden. His spirit is there. You could do a whole study on God's spirit. and you'd, uh, In Hebrew, it's the word ruach. And you would see that God participates a lot in his spirit and is in present in the garden. And we call this space, this union of heaven and earth, we call it Eden. Oops, that's not how you spell Eden. You spell it Eden, um, also known as paradise, or Eden translates into the place of delight. Okay? It's a place of delight. It's good. And that's Genesis 1 and 2. And then you get to Genesis 3. And this is the point of the story where you think everything's good. And so I'm going to go and get ready for bed. But what do humans do while the authority figure is getting ready for bed? They get out their red paint and they go to town, right? Because humanity thought they were better. Humanity thought and convinced themselves, right, they ultimately had the decision that they could rule without God, that they had the wisdom to choose what is good and what is bad, what is life and what is death. And so they defied God. And at which point, God had to respond, as any good parent does. What do you do when your kids mess up? Or they chose a trajectory that's going to lead to something bad. At some point, you have to be a parent who says and does this very scary thing. And I think this is one of the most scary things God did. Is God said, I respect your decision, your choice to rule without me. It's the point as a teenager or a kid when your parent says, here's what's going to happen when you do it but it's up to you. You have the choice, but it's bad, and I wouldn't do it. And then they go and do it. And it's the point where the parent looks at the kids like, you see, there's gonna be consequences for your behavior. It's a very scary moment, right? When your body and your mind are like, I wanna go do it. And your parent's like, no, and in the back of your heart and your head, you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't do it, but I'm gonna do it anyways. That whole thing, that's what happened in the garden. And so what does God do? God says, hey, listen, you chose a path that was outside of me, that was not of me, and so therefore, this has to be rewritten. And that's where things get to be unfortunate. God says, okay, I still reign supreme, but now we can't be together. So heaven and earth are separate, and just to make the point a little clearer, let's get out our red paint and make it a mess, okay? And humans, here you are in this world. And you are in charge. Go get them. But heaven's space and God's space cannot be with you anymore. Because to do that, that would mean that God compromised who God is. And God couldn't do that because if he compromised who he was, that would mean he was now bad. And God can't be bad. Heaven cannot be bad space. It has to be God's space full of goodness. God had to discipline children. If you don't discipline children when they do wrong, what happens? They become arrogant. They become selfish. They become bad. 
So then the humans walked away and said, no, it's going to be okay because one day I'll get to go to heaven and I can leave this place. And then God's going to come and burn it all down to the ground. Or is that what he said? Because God does something amazing. God does something divine. God does something loving. God is incredible because God says, you know what? You are my children and I don't want to be without you. And so what I'm going to do, let me change where I write earth. I'm going to bring heaven to you. And I'm going to create a little bit of a space for you and I to be together. And hopefully, we can repair what has been broken. Because this theme that we've been talking about for this entire series is this idea of God being with us. It's a relationship thing. It's not distant, it's close. Even though humanity is out messing it up, right? Being a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, you know? God gets on the metaphorical bus, the metaphorical plane, the car, and drives over to where his children are and rents the Airbnb right around the corner and texts his kid and says, hey, I'm around the corner if you need anything. I'm not gonna cross your boundary. You're in charge. You get to do what you wanna do. You have that free choice, but I'm here. I'm here if you need me because I love you. And in so doing, he pushes back some of this red and begins to start a quest of creating some God space on earth. And he does it a lot of different ways. And you see this throughout the biblical story. You see this in Genesis. You see it in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. You see it in Genesis chapter 28 with Jacob, where these these um, engagements of divine space. There's this burning bush. And he says to Moses, Moses, take your shoes off because what you're going to tread on is holy ground. It is consecrated ground. And so he creates this burning bush moment in here where heaven and earth overlap. And then with Jacob, Jacob has this whole little tuffle and thing and and he has this dream and he sees the heavens open wide. And then he names this place Bethel or the place of the Lord or meeting with God. And then you see this again in, um, or excuse me, I got my times messed up. Excuse me. Abraham makes an altar um, and that's the whole intersection with Abraham. Then Moses sees the burning bush. That's Exodus 3. And then Exodus 20, um, you see this whole exchange on Mount Sinai. And, you know, Moses come down and he's glowing. All right. All of these moments of, you know, being on a mountaintop and or being um, in a sacred space, God creates. And he continues to do this pattern over and over again. And then he gets to this point where he makes a new agreement. He says, hey, my people, I'm going to set you aside. You're my people, and I want you, my people, to stand with me. These are going to be little people. I want you to stand with me and be a representative to the rest of the world on what it means to know me and be followers and be with me and be a light to the rest of the world. And we're going to make an agreement. And there's going to be a number of commandments in part of this agreement. 
But if you um, are with me, I will be with you. And then he said, in fact, to make my point even clearer, I'm going to create a permanent space for me to reside with you. And there was an ark and a covenant that was made, and there was a tent of meeting. And so God builds, has them build a tent, and God resides in this tent, okay? And that's where God's presence resides. And then humanity literally lost it, the tent and the ark, lost it to some bad guys. And so then they eventually one day made a bigger tent. They called it a temple. And, and this is really the same in a lot of world religions, is a temple is a space where God and man connect, okay? This is my version of a temple. Sorry, it's not very good. And then what did humanity do? Well, they lost the temple again. It got destroyed, okay? And so then they came along and they got another guy. Uh, his name's Herod the Great. They got him to build him an even bigger temple. And they were like, look at how great we are. And in that place is where the presence of God reside. It was a holy place. But then that too, my friends, did not go very well. And many religious leaders, many church leaders or temple leaders at the time abused and misabused their power and compromised the temple. And it really upset Jesus or God's son when he came on the, the pages of history, but that's a whole other thing. Anyways, and so then God said, we are going to take care of this once and for all. Because apparently you guys cannot get this taken care of yourself. And so what does he do? In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And if you read Genesis, the Word was with God in Genesis 1 as well. And the Word was with God, and in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being without him. And in him was life, and in the life was the light of mankind. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not grasp it. And that very word, back down into verse 14, that word became flesh and dwelt among us, resided among us, um, habitated, tented is the literal word, with us, humanity. And he was the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, God said, I'm going to give you both heaven, me, and earth, humanity, in one person, and that person is going to be Jesus. And in this very relational way, God comes to earth to be with us. He rents the Airbnb right down the road and says, hey, I'm here if ever you need me. And Jesus steps onto the pages of history, and this is where it starts to intersect with heaven. Jesus steps onto the pages of history and he starts to teach and he starts to talk and he talks a lot. And the thing that Jesus talks about the most is not what most of us think. The thing that he brings up over and over and over again in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then Paul brings it up later in his writings, and it's this theme throughout the New Testament over and over again. One of the first words out of his mouth, literally, I think it's the first words as documented by Mark, it's one of the first ones in Matthew and Luke, is not love your neighbor, though that is very important. It is not do not worry or be afraid. It's not that, though he talks about that a lot. This phrase that he talks about over and over and over again is called the kingdom of God 
or you can use it very interchangeably, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. And he says over and over again, be ready or you need to be ready because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is here now. The kingdom of God is coming. He uses both present and future terminology when talking about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus does not say, hey, everybody, I'm here. Time to go to heaven. That is not what he says. He says, I'm bringing heaven to you. And that's not what we think because we'd rather like light a match and throw it and get out of town. And Jesus says, no, that's not how I work. So here's what we're going to do for the rest of the time. We're going to talk about this idea, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, which is a much bigger idea than I have to do in 10 minutes. But it's something really important. What does it mean? The kingdom of God is a space, is not a space or a place or a land. God's got plenty of that, okay? God is coming here in terms of his relationship with people, okay? It's defined more by people and our hearts and our lives and who our king is, the king of our lives, than it is about territory. Kingdoms are not really actually based on territory, if you think about it. If you think about the United States of America as a kingdom, and you're like, well, it's not a kingdom, it's a democracy, blah, 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 I get it. But if you think about it that way, if you go to France and step into their territory, do you become a Frenchman or woman? Okay, thank you. Yes, the answer is no, you do not. You're like, do I really? That'd be great. Yes, I get a French accent and everything. No, you are still an American, right? And you still abide by and have the values and culture and mindset and leadership. Your leader doesn't change. Emmanuel Macron does not become your president just because you're in France, does it? Because there's something deeper. Because there's something in here and in here, not just about territory. God isn't wanting us to go to heaven. He wants to bring heaven here. God is not running away from earth. He is coming to earth. And that's why Jesus talks about heaven and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven coming over and over again. And he prays about it. He says, hey, when you pray, here's how to pray. And he doesn't necessarily mean it literally, though we like to take it literally. He means it as a, hey, here's a template. And when you pray in this template, you say, hey, our Father in heaven, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your name is great. And Lord, what we want, what I want as a follower of Jesus is for your kingdom to come. And your version of morality and values and heaven to be on earth as it is in heaven. Right? That's what he wants. We're so desperate to run away from earth and God's like, well, we're going to miss each other. Like, you're going that way and I'm coming this way and we're missing it. We're missing it. The people who make up the kingdom of God are the people who call Jesus their king. The people who are filled with God's spirit and are temples, as Paul said. They are God's spaces in our world. When, a, when someone decides to follow Jesus, no longer is the paint and the destruction that comes with humanity there, but they become or should become a little slice of heaven on earth, a little bit of temple spaces, temple spaces on earth in the midst of the mess and the pain and the sin. 
And Jesus does this all the time. Jesus sends out his disciples, Matthew chapter 10. He says, hey, go out and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What are you supposed to do if you're gonna follow me? Go out and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdoms of the world, but the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All the values that come with it. One day he's walking along and he gets confronted right at the kind of the beginning of his ministry with a centurion. And this centurion, who's a Roman soldier, he's in the Roman army, heard Jesus was coming, went out to meet him. It says this in Matthew chapter eight, um, starting in verse five. It says, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him and asking him for help, said, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and suffering terribly. So who's this man's king, the centurion's king? Who should this king, man's king be if he is a Roman soldier? Should be Caesar, right? Anybody know the Caesar in particular? Fun fact. Oh, close. Tiberius. Well, yes, Tiberius Augustus. Yeah, close enough. That was a good catch-all. I like that. Good answer. Okay. Um, yeah, it was T- Tiberius, right? And so um, that should be his Lord, but that's not what he says. He says, Lord, King, I need your help. Will you help me? Will you help me? And then what happened? That Jesus... Um, Oh, excuse me, I'm on the wrong spot. Oh, here. Um, He said, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. And the centurion replied, Lord, again, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, one soldier, go, and he goes. And to another, I say, come here, and he comes here. And to my slave, I, do, I say, do this. And he does it because I'm a man of authority. And he's looking at Jesus and he's like, you are a king. And with kingship comes great authority. You don't need to go to my house to heal him. You can do it from here. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And to those who were following him, he said, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith, such great faith, in all of Israel. And then he goes on. I think I have this passage for you to look at. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And essentially he says, you will be one of those people too. And then he heals the servant because that's a quality of heaven. That's what heaven does. That's what being with God does is it heals what is broken. In this world, in this kingdom, people operate of a value system, not of this earth, where you believe from the beginning that you are valuable because you are made in the image of God. We take that for granted because we're Americans, but that is a very new idea for the world. You go back into history, that is not a Greek idea, that is not a Roman ideal, that is not a Middle Eastern or Eastern idea. That is a very specific Judeo-Christian value, that you are image bearers of the Most High God, and you are equal because of that. Your value is set. It is not because of the job you work or the title you have or the money you have. It is because you are image bearers of God. And in this kingdom, kingdom, the sick are taken care of. In this kingdom, there is overwhelming generosity. There is mercy and forgiveness in these kingdom spaces. In this kingdom, you give your life as ransom for those who need you just as Jesus gave his life as ransom for all of humanity so that he could bridge the gap 
between heaven and earth. And so that those who wanted to be God spaces could be, could be filled with God's spirit and be God in heaven on earth. That God's lordship, his kingship, could be in you. And in so doing would create a space in this world where God could exist, where a bit of paradise could exist, that when people get to know you, they look at you and they say, gosh, you're just, you're just kind of nicer than other people. You know, you kind of go out of your way more than other people. You do things that normal people don't do. And it's kind of heavenly. And I really appreciate it. The bottom line is this. It means that when you get paint everywhere, God isn't just moving away. He isn't building a new house. He isn't just going to burn it all to the ground. He's going to show up, kingdom and all, and help clean up for those who want to clean it up. To make new for those who want to make new again and restore it. The ideals of heaven that many of us are raised on, like life and safety, there's no weeping and death, goodness and peace of God that God wants for all of humanity as it is in heaven, that is possible not just in death, but also in life. These are values that should not be something we aspire to receive at the end of life, but ideals we try to bring to earth right now. It should not be something that we aspire to receive at the end of life. There are values and blessings and truths and graces that we can bring to our earth right now. God is trying to invade our earth with his kingdom. And let's be honest, we do not like to be invaded. We don't like the idea of a king coming in other than ourselves. And so when we make a mess of paint everywhere, God comes in and says, hey, can I help you clean it up? You know, or actually, correction, God comes in and says, hey, this is bad. And you're like, I know it's bad, thank you. And then he says, can I help? To which you think to yourself, oh, well, of course I would have God help me clean up the color in the rug. Like that would, I'm assuming he could just do it like that, right? You know, that would be perfect, okay? But we're not talking about a rug, are we? We're not talking about carpet. We're talking about your life. And we don't like it when somebody comes in and says, hey, this is kind of a mess sometimes. And we don't like it when someone offers to help because to offer to help means like that we're wrong. And God's like, I'm not trying to tell you that you are less valuable. I am saying you are wrong, but I'm not saying you are any less worth my love because you are, and I can help you. But when it's our life, we don't want somebody to make us feel guilty. We don't want make people to make us feel ashamed. And so what do we do? We, we look at God all angry and we say, no, I got it. I'll clean it up myself. It doesn't work very well, does it? We are so threatened sometimes in this world by God's kingdom. I mean, what is so threatening about a kingdom that says, I lay my life down for another? A kingdom that says, insofar as it is possible, find peace with everyone. A kingdom that says, be an encourager, bear one another's burdens, give one another life. There is eternal life. There is a kingdom that passes uh, that has peace that passes all understanding, a kingdom founded on forgiveness. To me, it sounds heavenly, but for some reason, to all of us, sometimes it sounds threatening. And we struggle to surrender our crowns 
to the king of our world. In God's kingdom, we still, still rule. We're still in charge under his authority. And sometimes we get that confused. So let's maybe think about sometimes being willing to surrender to a God who does not want to stay absent, but a God that wants to come close. Because here's how the story ends, and you can read it later on your own. Revelations 21 and 22. The whole book of Revelations is, is pretty confusing, but I think if you've watched this series, um, you, you get into the point where you have enough to figure out what he means when he talks about um, new creation in Revelations 21 and 22. But the point is this, that his goal is that heaven and earth are reunited again. And in this earth, there is a beautiful city. And in that city, the throne of God resides. And that city is Jerusalem, and it comes down from heaven. A lot of people are like, well, you know, Israel, and what's happening in Israel? And John's like, no, no, literally, the new kingdom comes from heaven. It's not of this world, because this world is broken. It can't come from this world. It's broken. It comes from heaven. And here in that new city, the throne of God resides. And from that city and from that throne, there are rivers. Oh, that's kind of strange. There's rivers that come out. Oh, and also, there's a tree of life next to those rivers. What are you talking about, John? Well, it doesn't make sense unless you're talking about Eden, unless you're talking about God redeeming the entirety of the world and bringing us back as it was in the beginning of paradise and delight. That's what we have to look forward to, where our earth is redeemed. Because God is not the kind of God who says, I'm going to create all these beautiful things and say it's good and then just walk away from it. Why do we want God so badly to walk away from the thing he has created this earth? No, his goal is to redeem all that is broken because that's the heart of a loving parent and God. As you came in today, I forgot my communion elements, so... Hopefully you, you brought yours. Um, uh, we had communion as you came in. And um, communion is a time of remembering. And that's exactly um, what we're going to do. Um, what communion is a time, it's a, it's a sacrament. It's an action that we take. Thanks, Colleen. Um, it's an action that we take to remember. And what we remember is, well, a lot of things. And usually it's simplified into that Jesus died um, for our sins and made a new agreement with us. And that is absolutely true. But in my opinion, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And in so it is also a little bit more meaningful than that. It's remembering all the things that we just talked about, that there is a God that is not absent, that is not distant, but is constantly in pursuit of each and every one of you. And so when we take the bread and we drink the cup, we take a moment to remember and let this truth become a part of us, because that's what we do when we eat, right? It becomes a part of us. And we're remembering that God is a God of sacrifice, of laying their, his life down so that we could have life so that we could experience all that is good, all that is him, all that is God. And that God will go to great lengths to make that possible. And he wants to dwell within us and for us to be little temples, little bits of heaven walking around our broken, broken earth. 
and that we shouldn't feel rushed to get out of this broken place, but we should be, feel confident and strong and encouraged and loved in the midst of the broken world we live because God is with us. And that's what we remember when we take communion. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks for it. And he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. Take this, eat this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant. It's a new agreement between you and me that no matter how far you go, no how far you run, no matter how far you want to hold onto that crown on your head and be in control, that I will forgive you, that I will love you. And the one day that you decide to give up that crown and let me be the king and the Lord of your life, you will experience freedom from your sin and your past. And you will be able to experience life and new creation everlasting. Take this, drink this in remembrance of me. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that you have given us this beautiful story. That at the heart of it, we are just children. We may be adults, but at the end of the day, we are sometimes no better than children in how we behave towards you. And all of us in this room are guilty of making a mess, of creating sin. And that sin does not wash off the walls and wash out of the carpet very easily. It's permanent. And the only way to really get it out is with some help and some forgiveness from the one that we have hurt and that's you. Lord, thank you for a story that involves your forgiveness. A story that means we can experience new life in your love. Lord, help us today to make it a day where we trust you. We are still rulers of this world, but you are in charge. You are the ultimate, you are the omega, you are the alpha and you are God. Help us to take off the crowns that weigh us down so much and to find peace and freedom in your kingship, in your lordship. Help us to say in our hearts and in our minds and in our words, Lord, you are my king. Forgive me, lead me, guide me. Help me to walk in your ways. Help so that heaven comes near, that your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Lord, help us to trust that, to trust you and realize that all of this comes down to a relationship, our relationship, an individual personal relationship with you. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.